Well, good morning. It is always good to be with you. Uh, Lauren and I had the privilege this last week of going out to the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Uh, my parents were kind enough to come all the way out from Portland, Oregon to watch Riley and Reese. They were really polite about it, but they all four seemed happy to see us go uh, when we first went because they get to spend special time together, uh, stay up a little bit later and have a little different kind of nutritional value to their diet and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I will say they were polite about it again last night when we came home, but they all four seemed happy to see us. So uh, it's, it's been a good time for us uh, as a family this past week. Lauren and I had a good time there. Uh, in Malibu, somebody's got to take those those trips to Malibu for, for the rest of us, so uh, we were happy to do that. But, no, it, it was good to be there. I was able to, uh, to teach two classes there and just talk about um, the future of the church uh, and to talk to other ministers about the hope that we share for what God is doing uh, among the churches of Christ, and it's just always a, a good time of fellowship and encouragement. But we're, we're glad to be home. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this time that we have to open up your word. And God, we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will also open up our hearts, our lives to that word, and that we would feel addressed directly and personally by you. We're so thankful for uh, the moment we had to witness Mason's baptism this morning. We just thank you so much for the ways that you call us to live our lives caught up in your life, and the life of your Son. And we pray that you would remind all of us who have made that baptismal commitment that we would go back to that moment, that experience in our lives, that we would renew that commitment, that we would strengthen it to be the kinds of people you want us to be. God, we thank you for Jesus. We run out of words when we try to communicate to you just how thankful we are for your Son and for all that he does for us. We pray, God, that you would help us always to be more like him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Certain songs have a way of, of attaching themselves to us. There's just something about music that, that can get past all of our defenses and, and reach us heart and soul. Sometimes it's the story the song tells, right? A father who's too busy to spend time with his children. Uh, a woman who finally, after years, finds the courage to chase her dream. A young person who finds the strength to really change the world. Sometimes it's what was happening to us the first time we heard the song. You know, there, there are those songs that you remember that you first heard when you were 16 years old and you had just learned how to drive and you were going to spend some time with your friends. And so every time that song comes on the radio, you feel 16 again. Maybe it was that you were with the person you were, were going to marry and you were falling head over heels in love with them when you, you heard a song together. And now every time it comes on the radio, if you're together, you look at each other because it's your song. Or maybe it was your, your parents, your, your mother, your father's favorite song as you were growing up. And so every time you hear it, you stop and you think about them and you're filled with, with memories and recollections. Sometimes it's the message the song shares. Right? Some songs are able to warn us in the way that we can, we can hear. That we need to slow down and savor the best moments in life. Sometimes songs encourage us. That even though things are really difficult right now, we need to hold on to hope because things are going to get better. Sometimes they, they promise us 
that with all of our flaws, with all of our shortcomings, we can be loved just the way we are. Sometimes it's the tune, the melody, right? The, the unique combination of notes and tempo that resonates with us. Maybe, maybe the song, when it comes on, it always gives you a surge of energy and you can feel like you can do anything. Maybe it's a song that every time you hear it, 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 it makes you stop and, and take stock of things to, to reflect on your life. Maybe it's even a song that makes you feel a little bit sad. But whatever emotions the song creates in you, it's something that you want to feel. It's something you want to experience. Certain songs have a way of attaching themselves to us, finding a home in our hearts. And that's especially true when we don't just listen to a song, but when we sing it. Now, I I know that not everyone in this room considers themselves a singer, and I know that not everybody in this room loves to sing. On the other hand, I'm sure some of you belt it out like a rock star when certain songs come on and you're the only one in the car. But regardless of how you feel about singing, singing is a central part of what we do when we engage in worship at church. Regardless of whether or not you think you're good at it, As you read scripture, you find time and again the encouragement for us to sing with our whole hearts, to sing with our souls to the God who created us, to sing when our hearts are overflowing with happiness, and even to sing when our hearts are broken with sorrow. We sing to God for God, because he's God. But we also sing to God for us, for all the ways it can remind us and recenter us, for all the ways that it can reshape our faith and our hope and our love, for all the ways the words that we sing can eventually become words that we live. Of all the things we do together, when we gather together for worship, my favorite thing we do is sing. And of all the subjects that we sing about, My favorite subject to sing about is Jesus, Jesus and his love, Jesus and his way of life, Jesus and the way that he has called us, created us for this Christian community, this faith family, Jesus and the way that he has risen from the dead and present, alive in our world, walking beside us every single day, Jesus, and how more than anyone or anything else, he is our all in all. When the Apostle Paul sits down to write a letter of instruction and encouragement to first century Christ followers in the ancient city of Colossae. He uses every approach he can to reach them heart and soul. And as you might guess, that means he doesn't just lay out logical arguments. He also, at times, reaches for the words of a song. A song about Jesus that he hopes the Colossian Christians will not only listen to, but sing And not only sing, but choose to live. Let's read the words of that song together now. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Scholars look at these words and they know from the way they're written in the original language that it's poetry, that it's a song. And this is the story that song tells. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Paul wants the Colossians and he wants us to sing this song with him. He he wants us to sing a song that invites us to imagine a very certain kind of world. A world where Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. A world where Jesus is the head of the body, the church. A world where Jesus is the beginning. And he creates a new beginning for all of us through the power of his resurrection. A world where through Jesus, God reconciles, God fixes every broken relationship between everyone and everything. A world where the cross is the way that God calls everyone and everything home. And that home is Jesus. Paul asks us to imagine this kind of world As we sing with him. And he wants us to learn to trust. He wants us to learn to see. That even though it doesn't always feel like it. This is the world that you and I live in. We live in a world where Jesus not only died for us. But was raised from the dead three days later. Which means we live in a post-Easter, post-resurrection world. Where Jesus Christ without question is the most powerful force in existence. In his 33 years on this earth, he redefined what life could be for us. He overcame the darkness of death for us. And now he is wanting to work with us. He's wanting to work through us. He is, he's calling us, hoping that we will respond to that call of a partnership with him. Longing to empower us to be living, breathing forces for goodness and peace In the lives of broken and hurting people who are starving for both. Jesus is the most powerful force in existence. He really is. And that means that you and I, we aren't at the very top. Calling all the shots. And that's actually very good news. Because there's only one who can adequately and faithfully fulfill the highest place. It's Jesus Christ. And he's already there. But the truth is. The thing is, it's incredibly tempting for us to either try to get to that highest place ourselves or to put someone or something else in that highest place instead. I mean, how many times have we spent countless hours at work because it might lead us to being recognized and then that might lead to a promotion and that might lead to a bigger paycheck And a better reputation and a higher profile. Endless hours in pursuit of all that. How many times have we pulled out a credit card or taken out a loan so that we could purchase something? And I use the word purchase with quotation marks around it. Something that's extravagant that we can't really actually afford Because it's going to let us buy something that's shiny and new. And and when we buy things that are shiny and new, sometimes we feel like shiny new people with shiny new lives. At least we do until the bill shows up. How many times have we done anything and everything it might take for us to win? To get ahead? To be the best? How many times have we said things and done things that cause us to experience pangs of regret? That we just push aside 
Because in the end, we won, and that's all that really matters, right? How many times have we struggled to be kind and patient and understanding with people who confidently vote differently than we do? Or passionately pull for a different team, the wrong team? Or loudly speak a language that we don't really understand or clearly practice their faith differently than we think they should? How many times have you and I believed that if everyone just just looked exactly like us and thought exactly like us and lived exactly like us, well, well, then that would be the only real way to any kind of peace. How many times have we rearranged just about everything in our lives because we, we never want our children to have to face the disappointment of not getting exactly what they want the moment they want it? How many of us get way too invested in our kids' athletic performance or academic success or musical giftedness because... When they do well, it makes us feel better about ourselves. We know we're far from perfect, but maybe we can succeed through them. How many of us try to move heaven and earth to make sure our kids never have to work through the struggle of trying their hardest only to fail? All of these kinds of behaviors can over time gradually lead us to eventually remove Jesus Christ from the highest place in our lives and replace him with someone or something else instead. I I use the words over time and gradually and eventually because none of us who are committed Christians would ever remove and replace Jesus Christ from the highest place in our life in one major moment of decision. It would be too clear. It would be too obviously wrong for us to ever do. We we would never want to believe that we're capable of removing Christ and replacing him with a successful career or a bigger house or a nicer car or an impressive personal accomplishment or a political party's agenda or a perfect family where everything is always fun all the time no matter what. If someone made us choose between Jesus Christ and any one of those things in a moment, we would always choose Jesus Christ. But that's not how it works. Nobody comes up to you and asks you, I want you to choose between this and Jesus. It's never that clear. It's never that obvious. Instead, you and I, we're in real danger of removing and replacing Jesus from the highest place in our lives over time. Gradually. Eventually. We're in real danger of removing and replacing Jesus Christ through a thousand small decisions that we make over days and weeks and months and years. We don't notice it. We don't see it. We don't recognize what we're doing through all of those small everyday decisions. But they're causing us to lose Christ as our center. They're causing us to drift away from Christ as our king. Little by little, they're leading us to trust in Rely on someone or something else to save us. Someone or something else to make our lives worth living. And here's the thing. It doesn't feel like a really bad choice we've made. In fact, it doesn't feel like a choice we've made at all. Because it wasn't a choice. It was countless choices. It was too many choices, too many choices to keep track of, too many choices to be aware of, too many choices to feel responsible for, so we don't. We don't feel responsible for decisions, for choices that we've made that we are unquestionably responsible for, and so we can gradually 
become people who unconsciously care about a whole host of things more than we care about Christ. We can gradually become people who unconsciously spend our lives pursuing people and things we're passionate about more than we passionately pursue Jesus and his way of life. Now listen to me. Doing well at work and being respected for it. Having enough financial resource to to create moments in your life that are really enjoyable. Building your confidence by overcoming challenging situations. Trying to, to responsibly engage in the political realities our world is facing right now. Investing in your family and sacrificing for your children. All of these things can absolutely be good. But they absolutely can't be God. They can't save you. They can't make your life worth living. They can't give you what only Christ can give you. Brothers and sisters, they cannot be your all in all. You and I, we, we weren't created to remove and replace Jesus with anyone or anything else. And when we gradually, accidentally, unconsciously end up removing and replacing Jesus as the true center and the real king of our lives with anyone or anything else, we always end up discovering that it's never enough. That it always falls short. That we end up feeling like the, the thing we thought would save us, the thing we thought would make our life worth living, it makes us feel empty and confused, disoriented. It doesn't seem to add up. And that's because you and I, we're, we were created for more. We were created for Christ and Christ alone to be the most important person and the greatest source of power in our lives. The Apostle Paul knows. He knows us. He knows our tendency to forget what matters most to us in the chaotic busyness of our daily lives. Paul knows that we make so many choices every day about who and what we value most that we don't even realize we're making choices. It feels like our, our day is just unfolding around us. It's happening to us and we're just along for the ride. But Paul believes that we can turn off the autopilot and we can wake up to the truth that all of our little choices end up adding up to one big choice to make to put Christ, to keep Christ at the center of our lives, the highest place of our lives, or to remove and replace him with someone or something else. Someone or something else that is probably really, really good. But good people and good things can't be God. And when we take good things and we, we rearrange our lives in such a way where it's clear what and who we're truly the, the most devoted to. When we take good things and we turn them into a God, they will utterly destroy our lives. But we have to recognize that's what's going on. In our world, it's very difficult for us to wake up and see that truth. Only God the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, only that God can truly be your God. Only Christ can save you. And only the Holy Spirit can make your life worth living. And what Paul knows about us is, we've heard that all before. 
We come to church and we listen to people teach classes or preach sermons or we read scripture and we are reminded once again that only God can be our God and only Christ can save us and only the Holy Spirit can make our life worth living. But 35 minutes after we leave this building, we're hearing all kinds of voices that tell us something different. And brothers and sisters, we listen to those voices more than we want to admit. They find a way in to our hearts and our souls and our lives. And it all feels like it's just happening to us. But we're participating in losing our center. We're participating in drifting away from our king. So here's, here's why I think Paul picks a song. Have you ever had a song that just gets stuck in your head and you can't get it out? It's never the song you choose, right? You know, it's, it's hours later, the girls are gone, and I'm humming Baby Shark for some reason. You know how songs do that? That's, that's the power of music, is that we can listen to it over and over and over again, and it gets, it gets inside of us, it gets inside our souls, it gets stuck in our heads and we can't get it out. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you every morning and every evening to turn to 1 Colossians, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. And I want you to read those verses. It's going to take you 25 seconds. Right? Read the song. And if you have a chance, read the song out loud. I want you to hear your voice saying these words. And my prayer and my hope is... It'll get stuck on repeat. And so as you're moving through your day, and you have all of these choices, all of moment by moment by moment, you're making decisions that either keep Jesus at the center, that either keep Jesus as your true king, or they push you farther away from that. Every single choice you're making in your relationships and how you spend your, all of it's, all of it's helping you either draw closer to that truth or drift farther away from it. My hope is that if you'll twice a day for the next week, if you'll read these words, they'll find a way into your soul and your heart and they'll resonate there. And when you find yourself making a decision, you'll think Christ is the beginning. He is before all things, and in him all things were created. In him all things hold together. He's not just the firstborn of life. He is the firstborn of new life, of resurrection. And he holds the place of all supremacy, not just for Paul, but for you and for me, for all of us. That he holds the place of supremacy for people who don't even know he exists. And that he is who we're living for. And no one and nothing else. But he calls us, in living for him, to live for everyone else. And to love them the way he has loved us back to life. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be out in our lobby. They're there to receive you, to pray with you, to talk with you. So if you came this morning with any question, any concern, anything at all, that you'd like to pray with, with a Christian couple about, please go to them as together we stand and sing.